Welcome to the Influence Factory podcast. This program is dedicated to support professionals who have a desire to develop their digital business influence so they can navigate through a fast-paced, constantly growing digital world. We invite newcomers as well as our family of business influencers to a place to play, share ideas, questions, tips, and guidance with other thought leaders around the globe. Sit back and enjoy our program with our host, Dean Delisle, as he interviews guests. News and commentary is provided by Kate Hassett and Jackson Delisle. Power Move lessons are provided by the Influencer Marketing Department at Social Jack. And production, editing, and distribution is provided by the Social Jack production team. Um, what do you see in terms of uh, the things that you're doing with folks to help get them to even get into content? Because I feel like a lot of times when we're talking to folks, um, you have the, the people that all of a sudden cross the line and they accept that, okay, we're, we're going to do this, we're going to blog, we're going to do publications and things like that. And, and they, they're looking for more of a structure or a system. But then there's the people like that get frozen, like they don't even know how to start. So on the content side, how do you get people sort of cooking and moving on that stuff? And the thing that we try and do is uh, map out the customer journey for somebody. So we make it pretty clear what pieces of content they need, you know? So uh, like on a website, you're going to need a landing page where you're going to talk about your product and this is to talk about you. Um, but then we build it up the customer journey and talk about where you're at, like solutions, problems, like most, most customers don't even know, first of all, that you exist. They might not even know that they have a specific solution or they need the solution that you have. And some might just know they think they realize they have a problem. So when we kind of back it out that way, they start to see the customer journey like, oh yeah, I need to address this point, this, this place. And when you map it out like that, it's easier to say, okay, these are the pieces of content we need. And then when you get to the top of the customer journey, in terms of getting them going, the biggest problem, um, it's probably easier for video perspective to get somebody to sit behind a camera and just talk. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of challenges with that. I was just going to say, don't yeah. think it's as easy as you yeah, think, yeah, especially yeah. with our attorneys and friends, right, right, right. which is like, it's an all day process for two minutes. But you surely getting them to write something is nearly impossible. Yeah. But um, what we try and do is do what we call collaborative content, where we interview them and then interview other people that they work with, partners, things like that to get more people involved with the content at the top of the funnel and take that burden of creating so much content on their own, out of their hands, and bring in outside influencers. I might talk to uh, Nick or somebody like that and put a piece like that on my blog. Um, so, you know, kind of take the burden off of them and creating so much of their own content. Yeah, I like that. And I think, um, I think again, it's, it's about giving people a framework of things that are doable. Um, so as long as there's a way to, to get them into a pattern where you're not, you know, the, the part that we hate about our business, and I'm sorry to our clients out there, I'm about to say this, but is the, uh, is the chase. It's like, there's a commitment. We really just want that content to be better for them. So like you, you know, in the influencer space, we like to find those networks that we can combine together to create that combined influence. And as long as we can get just a commitment of a little bit of content or maybe an interview that we do, now we have something to pick up and grab from. So uh, I think that's that's interesting. And then Nick on that, so so how does AI play into the whole personal branding and that piece of it all, you know? 
personal branding, that's actually something, that's a good question, because that's something I really haven't dived into a whole lot. But ultimately, you know, what I focus on talking about artificial intelligence, and of course, as I dive into voice assistant technology, you know, I'm, I'm not so entirely sure that it's going to be changing how we represent ourselves, but it's going to be completely, fundamentally life-altering for how businesses represent themselves right. in this space. And, you know, it, it, it's essentially it, it's there's this thing going around in the voice space now called sonic branding. Right. So and this is something that DP may be able to jump in on, too, since it involves the brand component. But the, the talk right now in the voice space is that much like the website is the visual representation of your brand for the mobile website is a component of that, but one of the primaries, so will voice and your sonic brand will become almost just as important. And of course we all kind of talk in our our voice bubble with all these folks that I know, but sonic brand may become just as important, if not more important as the website, because people are transitioning to more audio based content. Now, again, a lot of this is just, you know, we look at the statistics, we look at the rate of adoption, we look at how many people are investing in the smart speakers and the voice assistants in general, but these are just the assumptions and based on some of the minute business investment that's been had, it is on a lot of organizations' radar because you have a one-to-one feedback loop with technology that we've right. had before. Technology can get a result from us, much like we can get a result from it. So brands have to really start thinking about how am I going to be able to use this platform to get the technology to work for me and engage with people to drive results. So yeah, I'll so say kind of answer yeah. from the personal branding standpoint, even though I looked at it more from a business perspective. No, that's cool. Yeah. Like well, and let me give you an example of sonic branding happening right now, and you may not even be aware of it. If you watch CBS this morning on a regular basis, they'll have their lead-in announcer who sounds newsy. They're getting a little bit more good morning american so they're loosening up a little bit. But whenever they're doing a promo for their CBS interactive news online, they have a guy who sounds like he's 30, maybe 28. Come on, check is that online? And they're literally saying CBS News on TV. That's where guys wear suit and ties. But right. online, we're a little bit looser. We're yep. a little bit younger. We're a little bit more on the cutting edge of what news is. You don't even know it, but your subconscious does. So does that mean that they're using that younger voice, not a specific voice? Or is, you know, because I think of, you know, we do, we have a client that does audio branding, which means there's a specific sound. You have a specific beat or music that you're using to represent your brand. But you're in this instance, you're saying that it's just a younger voice associating with the brand online? Well, it's a, it's a younger voice that embodies the brand online and differentiates it from its broadcast component. The, broad, the people who watch CPS News are north of 50. The people who watch... <laughs> At least. Yeah. yeah Sorry. 150. Sorry, it's good news, folks. But and you, by the way, I watch CBS News. <laughs> so I know of which I speak. But the people who, who engage with it online are probably going to be a little bit younger, and they're playing to that. When you were talking about, well, uh, music cues and things like that, well, yeah, that's always been a part of Sonic Branding. Witness the fact that, uh, what was it, a morning edition or um, All Things Considered changed their music and people freaked out. Yeah. Why? Because something they've known for 15, 20 years has now changed. And even if there's a an homage to the original theme and the new theme, it still doesn't feel the same. Well, who's right? I'm not here to say either who's right or wrong. But I am here to say that 
when people react that viscerally to a music change, you know that music is saying something about you, your brand, and what they expect of you. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. So um, one thing I want to talk is, is we're talking about branding and things like that. What you just mentioned have to do with trust, you know, building trust, right? Because it's that trusted, you know, theme that I've always been used to. <gasps> What's different? You know, it's, it's, and I even got nervous, you know, coming to Dream Bank for the first time since this is open and going, I'm nervous because I knew that old Dream Bank for like 10 years. It was always there with a the big safe door. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you knew it. I knew it inside and out. We knew, our team knew where to plug in. And now we're coming into a whole new building and a new setup. And it's like, oh my gosh, what's going to work? What's not going to work? Is this working? You know, so it's like, you know, there, there's, there's, there's uh, fear in that, that sort of change. And okay. there's a lot of change going on for all of us in, in our segments right now. And keep in mind, take a look at what's happening in the world. People are going for the most convenient, the easiest, the lowest friction. So in your definition right there, the old Dream Bank was easier because you knew it. There was less friction. <laughs> yeah. It was more convenient. Well, we had tested out all the kinks <laughs> for seven years. <laughs> exactly. We knew which cables didn't work. <laughs> you know, to, to point to an old brand exercise, it's the old code changed its formula. Oh yeah. Wow. And the massive freak out. What I love right now is that they're leaning into it so much that they're bringing back new Coke. So it's going to be in the new season of stranger things, which is set in the year where they did the new Coke thing. So it's like we made a mistake and now we're leaning into that mistake because that's part of our authentic history. Right. Authenticity is not just about your best day. It's about your worst day and how you handle it. Yeah, it's about being, yeah, and it's about putting it out there and letting it. Out Amen. There. Yeah, right. So, uh, so Spencer, I always think of you as my co-technical uh, data geek out there. You know, I'm a data guy from way back. Uh, so, um, so what do you see? In, and I'm always curious about what data do you trust because people have this thing where the algorithms are always changing, and it's like all of a sudden, you know, I was climbing to the top of Google, and now I'm stalled. And, and did I do something? Was it the algorithms? What are you seeing in the data today of what we can trust? A couple of things. The first is LinkedIn profile views on an individual level. I feel are the, is probably the best metric there is for those that do individual production. So that's typically professional services, or it could be the head of a company where she's looking on LinkedIn and seeing that as her profile views go up, that's indicative of her doing the right things because typically people don't end up on your LinkedIn profile by accident, right? It's, it's delivery. Either you shared something, they Googled your name, top three, top five results, you show up. And I think the other thing is, is driving confidence through those that do sales. And you can't really measure that. But I tell you, back when I used to sell for the Hartford, which is a you know, huge Fortune 100 company at the time, and we used to sponsor the NCAA tournament, during that period of March, I'd walk into meetings and I knew that people saw the Hartford that would precede me going into that sales meeting. So I would hold my head a little bit higher. And ultimately, when we try to sell to somebody, they go, oh, yeah, the Hartford, I've heard of you, right? So that phenomenon. So as far as the data goes, that was you know, page views or sessions or likes or comments. I mean, that stuff is really, really tough because how does it translate then to delivering confidence to those that actually do business development. So that, that's just this constant struggle. But I think that to your, to your point, it's about the availability of data and knowing that we can get at it. So I know Egan, who's in the crowd here, we've done a lot of work with Data Studio, Google Data Studio, where people know at least if I can get at the data, that makes me feel better as opposed to this being this nebulous black box that I have no idea what's going on. We're just showing out a bunch of money. Wow. And um, what do you think about the reliability of Facebook's data? I'm always curious because it seems like 
you know, a lot of people, a lot of us build audiences and we trust that we're building good audiences. And now there's sort of newer ways to, to look at that and go about that where it's a little better than what it used to be. But what's your take on Facebook? It depends on if you're running e-commerce or not. So we have a, a large, large e-commerce client that has 230 physical locations, but yet they sell all of their tickets online. And for that, it's shockingly good. Like attribution to ads where we can say you inserted a dollar and you get six back, what we call return on ad spend. Once you have demonstrable evidence like that, they go, how much can we possibly spend? Because you can track all of it. The other stuff, though, as far as engagements and likes on a page and that kind of thing, it's really tough to say this is what's important. What I can tell you is that as we produce things, because people spend so much time on content creation, right, is once we have that piece, it becomes old to us. And we put it out on social. I'm sure everybody's seen it. It's like, no, 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 no one has seen it. So let's empower that piece of content by putting dollars behind it on Facebook or other ad channels and making sure that as people see it, we can then report back better data. So that's where just tangentially on LinkedIn, we can say if I show LinkedIn ads to a certain demographic, we can then back out of that data and say, here are the companies that saw your stuff. So if you're trying to sell into an account, you know that at least they know who you are before you make that call. So that is a tangential thing to Facebook, but I feel like the more data we can get, the better off we are. Yeah, that's good. So... uh... Any thoughts on that? Anybody else on data, Greg? Um, when we present data to our clients, um, we instead of just uh, you know giving them the report, the automated you know Google Google Analytics report, or anything like that, we really just sit and we first of all we only report quarterly. I mean, we'll send them monthly report automated if they want to see what the traffic's doing, the conversions. But um, we really try and get into some analysis of it. And um, instead of just going with a big aggregate, especially for us, we break it down onto the page level, uh, getting back to the website. So how is this specific piece of content, this page, doing? And when you get down to the page level and those specific pieces of content, then you can get actionable. So, yeah, our traffic's down, but which piece of content's really hurting? Well, you know, this page was doing great for us now. It's starting to sink. What can we do to go in there? Can we get uh, another interview? Can we start to uh, get another influencer and drive some more links and things like that? So I, I think the clients really benefit from the fact that you're taking some time and really getting into the analysis of it and then working off of that to adjust your strategies. Yeah, got it. If I may, just to add, just one, one sec, sorry, um, just to add a little context to that, in a vacuum, people don't really know what's good about their data or not. Like right. sessions going from 4,000 to 5,000, is that good? Maybe. But then once we introduce the competitive standpoints, then we can start to do some better analysis. So we can say, you know, list your top three, four competitors, put them on a board next to you. How does it make you feel that you're getting outranked, out-trafficked, whatever you want to do? Because that elicits the response where we want to keep going as opposed to having to be a novelty. See, that's how you motivate them. We talked about this a little bit last night. It's like, it's like, how do you get them to make a move while showing what their competitor is doing? So. Well, and I think if I can sum up a lot of what everyone's saying, it's vanity metrics are bad. Don't worry about them. Say more about that. So call out the vanity metrics. Well, vanity metrics are typically the things that people have looked at, like how many people saw my post or how many people have connected to me or, you know, the, yeah, it's great. How many oh, followers do I have? Yeah. I've got 30,000 <laughs> followers and none of them buy from me. Great. You know, it's useless. I mean, seriously, if there's not an ROI calculation that you can make from the content you're creating online, it's more or less a waste of time. But remember that 
blog posts that maybe took you four hours, five hours, maybe in the case of some people even more to make, if it if the right people like it, that could be the whale that you've been trying to catch. You know, I I like to talk about there are two ways to look at fishing. There's net fishing and there's species fishermen fishing. You throw a net out, you pull it back in, and you sort through it, hoping there's some good stuff in there. Or you can species fish where you're using a specific uh, type of lure to attract that specific species of fish. And if you get that one, that's your entire year. So that's really an important difference between vanity metrics, yay, people like me, and the type of metrics you guys are talking about, which is, yay, people buy me. I, I agree with what BP is saying, but I feel there is a, an important point here as well, is that there's this old adage in sales, sell them what they want and sell them what they need. And we just have a new banking client as of two weeks ago. And the, the marketing director said, the CEO said this verbatim. She wrote down what he said. And he said, we only have 191 Facebook likes. Why in the world would we produce Facebook content? No one's there to watch it. So we want to get more likes that, that will then empower content. So although it is a vanity metric that you know people can poo-poo, and I think it makes sense a lot of times, oftentimes it is an empowerment mechanism to say, if we can do this, if we can grow your following, therefore it'll justify the content creation portion. So what do you have to say about all this, Mr. Nick? I was going to say you're going to put me on my data and privacy soapbox here. Yes, I am. So well, <laughs> to be honest, actually, this week I gave a talk to some high schoolers and it was all on what feature of social media is going to look like with artificial intelligence. But I did some thinking about it because that was actually kind of a spinoff of the presentation I did in Chicago. And it really came down when I started thinking about it that AI is social media and social media is AI. And why do I say that? Because the entire thing that drives all these platforms that we engage with is an AI-powered algorithm that determines what content is prioritized in your newsfeed. So essentially, without the technological driver behind it, a lot of this can't really happen. And because that's kind of how it's always been as these platforms have scaled, a lot of these new AI tools that are coming out, a lot which are free right now, actually, because these platforms and these companies that are developing just want, want it out there for people to use, are allowing us to parse through a lot more of the data that we can get from this. So specifically, sentiment analysis, you know, what is the emotion behind a post that somebody made? Well... I can guarantee you there are marketers in every marketing department in this country do not have enough time to sift through all those different posts <laughs> right. to look at the likes, the smiley faces, the different emojis. But you hand that over to an artificial intelligence platform, it can do that in about a week, depending on how much data you feed it. And that's you know kind of bringing that to the fact that the reason AI and voice specifically is growing so rapidly is because of all this data. You think of all the data that just social media produces on a daily basis. It's completely unreal. And in order for these programs to evolve and learn and become better, it has to be exposed to data. And now I'm going to get on the whole privacy thing because one of the things that I always get asked, you know, as we're talking about data and data collection and yep. privacy is, well, what, what about AI collecting my data and my, you know, compromising my privacy? Or what about Alexa sitting there listening to everything I'm saying? And then I look these people square in the eye and I say, you want a smartphone? Say, well, sure. Well, you gave up your privacy about a decade ago. Actually, you know, you gave it up a long time before that when you got a personal computer and had access to the internet because cookie tracking tracks data. All these different things track your data. So you actually gave up your privacy a long time ago. And the reason we're seeing that is because as humans, we value convenience with a little bit of our privacy. Everything Everything is a transaction. 
you know, all these social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all of them, when we say, I want to use that platform, they're a business. We click an agreement that says you can do what you want. Well, I was going to say, how many people out there have read their terms of, no, you know, very, very, right? Very yeah. And I mean, and it was funny because we actually had someone uh, that, you know, we had had, uh, you know, over 100,000 people log into Social Jack. And then there was the one that read the the terms. And I was like, holy smokes, I don't think I, I don't think I've read them in the last five years. And so <laughs> they pointed out this thing and my guy's like, oh, yeah, that's old. We don't even do that anymore. We can take that out. And then they were like, OK, now I'll log in. But I was like, wow, somebody actually read it. Right. It amazed me. But that's the thing. We're, we're willing to give up a portion of that privacy for the convenience of being able to use a service or a platform. And that's kind of my argument whenever I get this question out is because you sit your smartphone down and you start talking about a product, it's going to show up in your Facebook feed about five minutes later. I've actually tested this. Oh, yeah, no, we have too. all over online yep. to test this. So for the sake of convenience, we're willing to give that up. And for me, I have always viewed social media, these companies are a business. It is a transaction. They are trying to make money. It is not a public good. So in order for you to use it, sure, it may be free enough to pay with money, but you're paying with your data. But in turn, that data is then being used to power all these different AI tools that without the data wouldn't really be able to evolve. So Yeah, so there's a, there's a crossing over, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much, but now that we brought up privacy, but uh, Joe Carnes, our analyst um, that was doing some of the AI stuff that we talked about earlier, um, all of a sudden, uh, he's in a grocery store, and they have a bottle of soap, and they're talking about it. And when they got home, there was an ad that popped up. And, uh, you know, they were just in the store. And I found out that the stores are actually listening too. now, whether they're using that data, you know, other than uh, for Intel. But uh, but obviously there's something going on there, but it's crazy. So you had something to chime in. on. Oh, I was just going to add to um, we had a direct uh, a guy out talking about uh, direct mail um, at craft marketing oh, a couple yes. of weeks. Yeah. Remember direct mail? And um he, you know, he was like, you know, everybody's all up in arms about privacy. Because I come to that place at the end of my driveway that has a mailbox. But he brought up a good point. He's like, you know, everybody's up in arms about privacy. But he's like, you know, these direct mail companies have known all this data for a long time. But I think it's getting at a new level with, you know, kind of this listening technology. Yeah, well, tracking our behaviors everywhere and things. And that's why I was asking, like, what, what do you find that's reliable? Is Google still a reliable data source? Is Facebook reliable? Is LinkedIn reliable? Where's the most reliable data for today for us? You know, and maybe we have to rely on these AI platforms to sift through it all and come back and tell us. But I have, you know, number one, I have trust issues even without data. <laughs> And then there's trust issues with when I'm looking at building an audience and I'm like, you know, and then you'll sift through the audience and I'm like, well, all these people aren't a hundred percent a good audience. So, you know, where, where's that headed? Does anybody have any thoughts on that? Like in terms of where are we headed with what we can trust? I mean, everybody's collecting stacks and piles of data, but well, that, that's the key right there. It's just this huge mountain data. The fact is, you could have millions of people trying to assess it over time and it's not going to get done. AI has the possibility of surfacing up valuable data, especially for branders and companies and products uh, that have the wherewithal to employ those AI, top level AIs. And then I think there always has to be a level of uh, human interpretation yes. of that data. And that's always been the case because Data is great. The more you have, the 
more you have to get through, but it's always in the interpretation because the difference between a drug that works and one that doesn't is typically like 1% point. Yeah. yeah. With side effects. Yes. Right. <laughs> Including oily discharge. Yes, right. And blindness. <laughs> right. Well, and kind of, you know, branching off of what DP said, what a lot of people don't realize is in 2019, I think it's anywhere between 60 to 70% of the world's data is actually sitting in Amazon Web Services. Um, Amazon really controls a lot of the data. Microsoft is not too far behind them with Azure. But a lot of the world's data is becoming centralized. And in a way that's good because then these new technologies are able to just find a consolidation of all that to be able to use it. Right. But bad, and I think about this all the time too, even though like I, I'm such an advocate for all this, is we're now giving something that I view as more valuable than oil itself or any precious metal data in control of, of a very small minute of people and companies. But you know, you see that dichotomy of it where we need it in order for the technology to grow, but it's bad and that it's becoming so centralized. Right. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people recognize is all this is becoming so big so quickly because data truly is becoming centralized more than it ever has with cloud computing and all these different technologies we have at our disposal. All right. So let's move into a segment about what's hot right now that people need to pay attention to. So if there uh, people are out there trying to gain an edge on marketing on those competitors, what do you think is something that is an absolute uh, must and and I'll just start with you on this. Yeah. Well, you know what my answer is going to be. Yeah. Well, well. <laughs> so I love voice assistant technology, and I have and that is voice assistant technology essentially is your Alexa, your Google Assistant, Siri, Cortana's of the world, and there's actually some independent companies coming up with some really cool stuff. There's actually a company that developed a gender neutral voice assistant called Q. It's it was totally yeah weird name. It was totally self funded. It's probably not going to get any traction, but it's cool nonetheless. So Q can use any bathroom, right? <laughs> okay, exactly. Gender neutral. <laughs> um, I am a huge advocate of any brand or organization currently watching this. You know, everything that we're currently doing in the scope of marketing is essential to get the word out and create awareness and build that brand for yourself. But really, start thinking about how these different technologies and voice are going to help you transcend to the next level. And I don't think anytime soon we're going to see a complete takeover. That's not my bit, but very quickly, it's going to start augmenting a lot of what we do. And like we mentioned in the beginning here, that sonic branding component, figuring out how you can engage with your audience, how you can drive traffic and how you can really get your message across to the people that matter most to a device that is literally sitting in somebody's living room is crucial. And not to mention the difference in data that you can get using these devices. How we ask and talk for something is radically different than how we type and search for something. So in essence, you can even get a better picture of how people are talking about your brand product or service because you can pull that data from what they're saying. So there's a lot of different levels to this, not to mention discoverability. Right. So by next year, more than 50% of all search is going to be over voice. That is a statistic that is... Wow. 50, wow. Yes, people are using voice assistance for general search more than anything. So if you really want to get in on this technology early and make yourself discoverable on this new platform, do it now. Because the way that technology works is if you are a part of, say, the Alexa voice ecosystem, so any skills or apps that are on that, if you are there right now, offering questions and answers to things people are wanting to know. Anybody who comes and backfills under you as they wait longer and longer and longer, because the way the technology works, they are not going to be able to reach your level algorithmically. So if you want to be a thought leader on the voice platform for what you're doing, 
get on that now. Wow. Nick, question, can I ask yeah, a follow-up question on that? So when you say 50% is going to be search, uh, voice search, does that mean it's going to displace some other searches, the types of searches, or are we going to have an increase in the amounts of search volume that's out there? So I think 50% of all search in the reference of there is actually some new research coming out saying there's beginning to see just not a big decline, but a little bit of a decline in the amount of regular text-based Google Bing searches that are happening. And that is truly just attributed to the ease at which you can ask a voice assistant to carry the information. I don't want to sit here and make a prediction. I don't actually know that's going to come true or not in terms of are we going to see a complete decline in actual physical mobile search? I don't think so. But I honestly think that it's just so much easier and there's less of a barrier to ask Alexa for something, to ask Google for something, get a response instantly versus having to type it in and still even waiting. Because that's what we're all about is efficiency. And that's exactly what this does. So I still think that there's going to be a huge emphasis in value, an actual physical mobile-based, desktop-based search. But this is coming down the pipeline quite rapidly. <clears throat> too much research out there to deny that it's not happening. Oh, I know. and and. Jackson has our whole basement lined up where it's like Alexa lights on, you know? And I said, this is just a more advanced clapper. I don't know. If it's <laughs> <laughs> so what's hot? Um, what should we, we pay? I mean, I, you know, we, we're, I'm probably not as qualified to answer that as some of these guys, because we really we're in content, we are in content, but we really use tried and true strategies and SEO really hasn't, changed in terms of what it takes for people to rank. I mean, it's it still links to your site and relevance with your content. So there's like no shortcuts. So even though these algorithms change all the time, it really has, has been, it's, so it's anchored to the same stuff, it's, keywords and content. It's still, are people linking to your site? Do they view you as an authority? Um, so there, there really isn't anything that has changed. I mean, our friend Andy Crestadino will say that. He's like, you know, SEO, there's all that, you know, content has changed, but it's still played by the same rules. Well, now that I guess, you know, we're going to have an increase in search, it plays even more powerful than ever for us to pay attention to that, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, those that are not, that, that would be the hot thing for them to make sure they pay attention. Yeah. I mean, my thing is, you know, I, I would speak more to the people who aren't doing anything. Content-wise. Yeah, any kind of content, any kind of marketing like online. Um, if you are not getting out there now more than ever, I mean, the hot thing is you have to do something now more than ever. I mean, so much of the sales process, 60%, 70% of a qualification pre-qual happens online. So, you, I mean, you have to be there. But so, so, so what you're balancing UGC, user-generated user content versus shared content. So do you, you have a sort of a preferred formula to help people on that spot? Well, I'd say the one thing that we are trying to do, and I guess this would be hot, um, would be like Mark Schaefer wrote about it in, I think it's called the Marketing Rebellion, Re Rebellion yeah. right? Um, and just talking about the bigger role of how people, consumers are taking over, they don't want to be marketed to. So we're just trying to feature more of our clients, customers in the content and more of our clients, people in the content, really trying to get people on video, get their voices heard. I mean, I think that is 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 more than anything. That's that's what's critical. It's um, 
Well, Jeff Bezos said this best because he gets asked this question every year. And Nick's heard, this, heard me say this, but he gets asked this every year. And his response is, you know, I, I don't like to answer that question because my answer is I really have no idea. I really have no idea what's coming down the pike. What I do know is what will work and what hasn't changed. And what hasn't changed is people and how people like. So for Amazon, their business isn't built on. It's built on technology, of course. But what they did, it's low price access to, you know, quick access to, or access to anything and fast delivery. They use technology to make that happen. Wow. So, I mean, it's more the people. And I think when you're talking to user technology, user generated uh, content, um, it's more about finding ways to get that out there and get the users involved and your customers and your employees involved more than ever. Super cool. Mr. X. I always want to call you Racer X, just so you know. That's cool. Because I'm a kid. Rex Racer. Whatever. Yeah, right. I used to watch that growing up, so I always think of Yeah, whatever, whatever you want. Yeah, <laughs> good with that. Uh, I think, I think the, the thing that we try to focus on is going where need already exists and then making yourself valuable. But it's, it's not about you. It's about understanding somebody else's needs. So as an example, back when we only had print or a finite amount of space for a publication to write something, it was really hard to get within the pages of that 80-page magazine because you were competing with many other people. Now every online editor has this constant deadline for dozens and dozens of articles per month. So to go to those publications and say, I would like to contribute for no cost right, to your law journal, or your banking magazine or whatever, publish for them because they'll usually say yes because there's content starved. Say, may I publish something for you? They put it in front of their audience for free. But then I think it's incumbent upon us to turn around and say, I wrote this thing for Wisconsin Banker or whatever, and I'd love to have you read it because it behooves you to do that. And it also helps the publication as well because it's really hard to get somebody to your blog post. Um, right, unless you have tremendous authority in that space, and you have a lot of traffic. So to go where eyeballs already are, insert yourself in that conversation, and then know that there's this virtuous cycle to say, if I drive people to their site, I'm the direct beneficiary of it. You can then use that as a jumping-off point. So, like you said with your book, right, where you got ten speaking gigs from it. That's how I get speaking gigs. I go, I wrote this article for your industry publication. Why don't we perform this on stage, right? So it's just kind of that backdoor way to get yeah, like to get that. speaking gigs. But that's that's where I feel like to go where people are paying attention and understand that if you help other people get the eyeballs that they want, you can pretty much get anybody's audience that you'd like. That's super cool. DP, I'm hoping you've been shooting video this entire time. I'm hoping you're the one that goes video. Well, the, the talk video. thing is always be creating content. Yeah. Even if you don't think you're going to get it up today, uh, maybe this will appear in my feeds tomorrow. Doesn't really matter. I'm capturing. So the new ABC is always be creating. Always be content creating. Okay. Yeah, I, I believe. Are it. you making a show within the show here? Yeah, no, he's been doing <laughs> that. Kind of am. <laughs> uh, but but I, I wanted to get to your question: What's old or uh, what's new? What's hot? Everything old is new again. And uh, you know, if you look at your technology stack, you know, technologists will always talk about what's closest to the metal, yeah, meaning right. the processor, and then what are you building upon. I'd like to insert the very first layer right above the metal, and that is your brand. Whether that is your brand, company brand, product brand, or more importantly now, personal brand. You know, it's interesting that you guys talked about Mark Schaefer's book, Marketing Rebellion, because I actually pulled it up on Amazon because I wanted to cite it because I saw him speak. And he threw up a slide that almost made me, uh, my head explode. And it, it was a slide that said very simply, the company brand is, or the personal brand is the company brand. 
And amen. Because let, let me tell you, I don't have a relationship with American Family Insurance. I have it with my personal American Family Insurance a broker right. or person who helps me out. I don't even think of them as a salesperson. They're more of the person I go to when I've got a problem about, hey, my kid was in a car accident. What is that going to do to our rates and stuff? They're my expert in that area. The fact that they're brought to my attention and my relationship by American Family Insurance, yay, American Family Insurance, but really it's the person I deal with. Yeah, right. And that American Family Insurance's brand exists only through the quality the personality, the personableness, the responsiveness of the person I directly deal with. The second that person fouls up or slowly responds or whatever, a window opens to other insurance companies because I'm being sold to all day oh, yeah. long by other people. But what keeps me loyal to American Family Insurance? And the phone's listening that you're shopping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because oh, we established, right? I'm going to have geckos all right. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But speaking to that, I mean, that's super important. And, and I believe, I'd sort of want your feedback on this, but I believe it's not just the agent. It's down to the people on the phone, uh, to your, you know, the voice, every, the brand voice, customer service. Time. I mean, I used to run and build call centers and I'm like, that voice on the other end means everything, you know? And, and now with the internet, you get a couple of bad customer service pieces. Now you've got a social media blow up and, you know, now the brand's getting harmed quickly. I like to take people through a little exercise and think about a bad restaurant experience they've had in their life. And we all, (laughs) I came from hospitality. So I am a freak on like, I know every manager almost that I go to and it's either you guys rocked it. Don't change a thing. Or, you know what I would work on. So I don't have, I don't have a problem. And and I'm a heavy tipper. (laughs) Well, I like to point out that have you ever had a negative restaurant experience that was saved by the server was working with you and overcoming the problem. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. And so you retained a relationship with that restaurant because of the server. They made it right. They made it right. Because guess what? We don't expect perfection. We expect perfectibility and that you're working toward a more perfect engagement, a more perfect state, a more perfect uh, evening. If you can turn my bad experience around, I might be touting to my friends and acquaintances and via social media that, well, for example, this actually happened. Took my car in for an oil change. Day 29 after the oil change, I'm going down the belt line at 70 miles an hour and I see my a film coating my back window and I'm like, this isn't good. Then I heard, okay, turn off, get over as fast as possible. The oil filter wasn't on tight. And I don't know whether it was a defect on the oil filter. I don't know if the people at the oil change place didn't do it tight. I don't care. I'm the guy with the car that now has an engine that's better as a paper weight, right? I call up AAA, longtime AAA fan. And you know. they they took care of me, got the blah, blah, blah. I told I went in, I talked to the guys, I maintained my composure, and I said, listen. 30 days ago, because it was the day after, you guys changed the oil. My car is now at this other place. What are you going to do about it? And I had that kind of, what are you going to do about it? And they said, okay, let me take down the information, blah, 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 blah. You'll hear back from us. Five days go by, and I'm like, 
what's going on with my car when I get a phone call saying, you can come pick up your car. And I'm like, well, what are you guys doing with it? I said, oh, we replaced the engine. Oh, <laughs> now it would have been nice. <laughs> and this is a car with over 100,000 miles on it. So I just got a 200,000. give them a nice Google review? <laughs> uh, I have not yet because I'm, I'm still withholding judgmental. But my point is, it would have been nice had they said on day three, hey, we're going to replace your engine. You can pick it up in a few days. They did. They missed that step. But I was so delighted by the response and the way they dealt with the replacing an engine on a car with 110,000 miles on it. And I'm like, I now have another 110,000 miles on this car that I can, you know, it's going to my, one of my daughters. But, but you get the point, which is they took that lemon of the situation and turned it into lemonade to the point where I'm like, I could have been a negative evangelist for them. And now I'm turning into a positive one. Sorry, I'm not going to mention the brand. But, but that's the point, which is the relationship exists with the people that are behind the brand, the product, and the service. And if the second you lose that, that social media is going to cure everything, I don't think you're right. Right. I, I, I dig that. Okay. So let's, let's, let's do a little time travel here. You know, I love to time travel. I know. Yes. Yes, exactly. Is everybody strapped in? Okay, good. The room's secure. So, um, so with this, um, I want you to look ahead, just even, you know, think about how fast things develop, how fast things mature and change. Um, let's, let's just look out even, you know, one year from now. So, so where do you see, where do you see things at, you know, in your respective areas one year from now? So BP, why don't you, why don't you, you know, I mean, right now you've been shooting segments on your phone and it's really, you have like a 4k in your hand anytime you really need it. And you've got a mic strapped on there and it even has like a wind guard if you need it, you can put on there. I mean, what's it going to be like a year from now? A year from now, more people who are not doing social media are going to be doing it in for business, way, for business, for their business, personal brands, because they start seeing the people around them with less experience, with less time in the saddle, succeeding better and faster. And a certain segment are going to ignore that. But the ones who are actually paying attention are going to say, wait a minute. That person spoke at that event, and I've got 20 years more experience than them, Nick Myers. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to go to school on what Nick Myers is doing to get that. Uh, again, not every say be like Nick. Uh, be like Nick, yeah. Yeah, seriously. And, and you know, it's, 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 it's a page right out of Spencer's uh, segments in the book right. we wrote together. Those who have are top of mind within their businesses, within their sectors, are going to be the winners. And so I think that the people who are winning a year from now are going to start today building their presence online. Well, I'm excited about that because I put my chips in that camp because of the influencer development that we do. We're, we're banking on the fact that more people are going to be hungry to monetize themselves, whether it's with and in the brand or it's jumping out and create being a creator you know, themselves. So I, I agree with you. I think, I think we're seeing such a trend, not just it's, it's all ages, you know, uh, of people just busting out and being their own brand. Well, and you've heard the rise of the term micro influencer and nano is the big one. now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, nano. if, if you're the ex, I, in the book we wrote together, I, I use the example of followers. 
I use the example of a guy who's the expert in Civil War buttons. Does he have an audience? There is, and I don't know the guy's name or anything like this, but I guarantee you there is one person who can tell you that the, the 83rd Brigade of this wore this button at this battle. And there is a micro audience that cares about that. Well, we just talked with somebody that, that the business does railroad tie repair. Okay, so think about that business. And the railroad is, is a very specific small segment of people that really track anything to do with railroad, right? And so uh, it's just diminished, you know, over time, but it's still very necessary and needed. And, and, and they're creating influencers out of the guys that weld those welds on the track. Who keeps the tracks safe? And, and it's starting to take off. And people are just like, oh, there's Frank, you know, helping us protect the line that goes from Indianapolis to Chicago or and whatever. And he can be the expert. Yes. That specific area. He knows how to hold that weld. So yeah. It's just crazy. But spot on. Spencer, what do you think? Looking ahead. You know, I haven't seen this technology much in practice yet, but from what I understand when it comes to 5G versus 4G, it's not as much the, the size of the pipe, you know, pure throughput, but it's really about the latency and the lack thereof. So as opposed to you pushing play on a video and having to wait for it to crank and then finally when it starts up, it starts, we're going to have close to zero latency. So I think those that get really good at knowing that content's going to pop right away and that first three to five seconds of video or the first three to five sentences of a, of a paragraph in a, in a title of a, of a you know, page that's written, that's going to be really, really important because people can easily dismiss stuff. They won't have as much time invested in what they are going to receive. So they can jump really quickly. So I think those that understand that the, the audience is really there to hear from you and be educated from you and maybe entertained at the same time and make that first impression very, very impactful are going to win more often than not now. Love it. Love it. I think we're going to get down to one word, um, whether it's written word, I thought it video. Was like, I am Groot or something. You'll, get, you'll only get one word. Uh, <laughs> Attention spans are so short, you will have <laughs> one word to get the, the customer. No. Uh, the, the one thing I actually was just chatting with a guy um, doing video, and uh, one new technology that I think is really going to transform a lot of things is um, the augmented reality and virtual reality. So he was telling me about, uh, you know, we do a lot of work with manufacturing and they are at a trade show. They're doing virtual plant tours. So you come up to their booth, you strap on the uh, virtual reality uh, goggles, and they'll take you through the plant. And so, you know, now it's like commonplace. You know, my daughter lives out in L.A. and we FaceTime her all the time, which is phenomenal. You know, what's going to happen when we can she can come into, you know, our apartment and walk around and see the dog and everything like that? I mean, that's on a personal level, but on a professional level, those plant tours, that's just going to open up a whole new world of possibilities. Yeah, that's that's cool. Mr. AI? Well, I, I just want to say I, I really agree with Greg because prior to being involved in, in AI and voice, I actually dabbled, I think I mentioned it. AR and VR at 360 video, and I still think that is Yeah, and I feel like we've been waiting for it. Yeah. I, I, I've been patiently waiting. I remember that, like, you know, I remember yeah, I was in a mall like 10 years ago and I stepped into this space right. and played a game, Once and I was like, break. oh, yeah. this is the future is here. You know, time travel's next. Right. Once they break free of the computer hardware boom, that's what's is that is that it? So we're waiting on some limitations um, on hardware. But looking at kind of my wheelhouse and the AI and voice space, so it can go one of two ways. 
The, uh, the first way, which is really bad, is we have a massive data breach and a bunch of people's information gets compromised and then the entirety of the pillars of trust with this gets thrown out the window. But that's at risk with all new technology, yep. right? But that is one thing that does keep me up at night thinking about all this is just going to take one thing in terms of public opinion because there's still a lack of a full education on this. The other way that I think it's going to go if we're looking at it strictly from voices, I think we're going to see people walking around openly talking to their voice assistants, whether that be through a hearable, such as um, more companies are coming out with Alexa and Google Assistant enabled hearables. We're going to see people. I love the translation yes. things, yep. the, the translation, you yep. know. Bose has audio sunglasses now. Um, so there's different technologies coming out now that allow you to physically integrate with this stuff. More people are going to be using Google Assistant, I think, on their smartphones because I'm surprised at the number of people I know now who use Google Assistant every day on their smartphone. That number is going to go up. And like I said, voice search, that's only going to become more prevalent as the technology evolves. It gets better to use. And people just just treat these devices almost like they're a part of their home, their lives. And that trust continues to build, which, again, hopefully it doesn't go the other way, is, is my hope. And then I think... There's going to be some app, some app or voice voice application that is so usable and fundamentally changes how we live our daily lives. And everybody in the voice space is trying to figure out what this could be. People are developing stuff constantly, but it is going to be one thing that just ignites it all. And it's going to be like that website rush was back in the late yeah. 90s, early 2000s, where people wake up like, why aren't we on this? And we're still in the infantile stages of this. I will openly say that, you know, we're nowhere near mainstream adoption yet, but I think it's coming. And every year this keeps growing. It keeps getting faster and people keep getting more comfortable with it. So that's what I think the projection, at least from my wheelhouse, is over the next year. Wow, that's super cool. All right, one last thing. So uh, what's the best uh, way for people to connect uh, and or follow you? You know, where do you play most socially? And then... What's the, um, you know, what's the best website for them to connect? And we'll put all this in the show notes, but for the podcast uh, listeners, where's, where do you want to drive? Oh, uh, well, I'm really active on LinkedIn. So I'd love to connect to anybody who's interested. D.P. Knutten, K-N-U-D-T-E-N. I'm the only one there. So that's <laughs> you know, and, and have you always been D.P.? Well, okay, long story, make no, it short. Yes, okay. Right, yeah. um, well, David Paul Canute. Uh, and I went by David Paul Canute for a long time when I was an actor. I got sick of that, and but people knew me at, at, as that. And I tried to go back to David. And then the bottom line is people knew me professionally as DP. And, and I realized that's pretty distinctive. So I'm going to. That's go. a brand. There you go. Yeah. Like yeah, exactly. Distinction is the first job of brand. And then the website to go to? Uh, CollaboratorCreative.com. Like it. Uh, my website is SpencerXSmith.com. Just like my name. And I'm pretty, the only one pretty I think so. Yeah. At least that <laughs> URL. So. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, LinkedIn is, is probably a good horse to, uh, to ride as far as uh, communicative stuff. Perfect. Uh, Greg Michio, M-I-S-C-H-I-O. You're going to misspell it. Uh, G-R-E-G. Um, I'm on, I'm on Twitter, uh, link in with me, and our company's website is Windbound, W-I-N-B's and boy, O-U-N-D. Get a lot of windbound. Oh, it's yeah. Win as in win the game. Yes, but don't be bound. 
right. by privacy. No. Yes. <laughs> it could have gone in a lot of ways. Yeah, I know. I, I, I could have yeah. went, went dark. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so there are many Nick Myers's out there, but only one with red hair that I've been able to come across. So if you find the Nick Myers with red hair, you're on the right track. I'm very active on LinkedIn, actually probably Twitter more so now than anything. My handle on Twitter is at the red, R-E-D, Nick M. Uh, LinkedIn, again, very active on that. And then you can find my website at redfoxcreate.com. But we are rebranding to redfox-ai, so I will, I'll let you know that if you can put it in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I just want to thank you from uh, our audience out there and, and myself and everybody from the Social Jack team that... You know, we um, we understand and appreciate how busy we all are. And, you know, you, you fit this into your schedule. It was very uh, last minute, like within weeks, we tried to scramble and, and, and pull this show together. So I just want to want, you know, to say how much we appreciate you taking time out to share your knowledge. And and we learned so much today. I learned a lot from this. And so uh, we'll um, we'll blog it up. We'll do the show notes and uh, we'll make sure to to mention everything in there, and then uh, we'll send everybody to your respective sites. But thank you again for being on the program. Thanks, thank, you. thank you. Yep, yep. All right, everybody. Well, that's a wrap. And then uh, we will see you all online, and then we'll have the show notes here for everybody. So thanks again, guys. Thank you for listening to the Influence Factory podcast. We welcome feedback and suggestions. You can provide these by visiting our website at www.myinfluencefactory.com. And if you are interested in Social Jack's 90 Days to Influence program, you can simply go to 90daystobusinessinfluence.com and simply ask for the next steps. While our program airs regularly on Zoom webcasts and Facebook Live on Wednesdays at noon central, we invite you to download episodes on your favorite channel, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and who knows where else in the future. We will also provide occasional on-location live streams with special guests that we will announce in our community Facebook group, Business Influencer Alliance, as well as on all Social Jack channels. Our mission is to help you build your digital business influence with this podcast, as well as inspire, educate, and entertain those who are hungry to collaborate in a cool place with cool business professionals just like you.